Hey, Jews and other emancipated peoples. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Leah Leibowitz. Ahalan wasahalan. Yes, to that. And Stephanie Butnick. Yo. I want you to learn to respond to that thing Liel says in I Arabic. Know, it's so hard to, like, I never know what he's going to say, and I'm pretty sure it usually means nothing. It's, it's completely made up. <laughs> Gut, guttural sounds that I'm coming up with. Um, our Jewish guest this week is Jewish Baseball Museum founder Jeff Ader, and our Gentile of the Week is investigative atheist podcaster Carrie Poppy, the brilliantly named Carrie Poppy. Um, in other words, our Jew this week loves baseball, <laughs> and our Goy this week doesn't believe in God. It's just another day here at the Unorthodox headquarters. I'm glad we were able to get a non-Jew this week, though, so good for us. That's true. Good for us. We it's found a daily one. struggle. We, we, <laughs> we found one. Struggle, struggle is real. real. <laughs> What's that a reference to? It's just like a... Youth culture, yeah. Mark. Don't worry they about it. They say struggle is real? Yeah. It's for young people. Okay. You know what's not for young people? My 20th reunion, which I had the past... <laughs> And I want to, you like that segue? And I want to apologize to all of our listeners who are used to hearing me in, in you know, full baritone splendor. That uh, I'm a little weak of voice today because from Thursday night to Sunday morning, I was talk- talking, non- I was talking nonstop. I was talking I was talking nonstop uh, and in between sips of gin and tonic. So it's this like, for you is better than an orgy. Is it, it is literally an orgy for you for an ext- three days of talking for an extrovert. Uh, who loved college and who's obsessively nostalgic, this was basically heaven. I could have gone forever. I don't understand people don't go to reunions. I I they, I love them. I sort of, you know, I, I X out days in my calendar in between them. And I was, and what's more, this was the best one by far. Like the 15th was a bit of a dip five years ago. Not so many people came. A lot of the key players in my own uh, collegiate experience didn't make it. This one, they were all there. I had so many interesting conversations. All right. So here's yeah. my question. Yeah. What do you want to know? There was one hot girl in college that you were pining for. Yeah. There has to have been. Was she there? She was. Okay. What's yep. her name? Uh, you oh, know, what, what I'm not. What would we call her I, for the purposes of this conversation? We can, <laughs> we can call her um, Estelle. Oh, she was actually at her 50th reunion. I'm feeling a little bit, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Mark was at 20. (laughs) I was trying to throw you off from anything that you could possibly be named. She was a professor. Right. Tell us about Estelle. This is a very unfair line of questioning. This is like... Oh, really? I was going to ask, like, who got fat? Yeah. Well, we can do that next. (laughs) Tell us about Estelle. Was it Estelle? She's, um, no, she's she's thriving. She's, uh... Did she listen to the show? She will after this. I will definitely. I will definitely let her know. No, we have a. We is have a she's good. Super attractive. Stuff. We have a, yes. Did you feel something? Oh, unquestionably. And yeah. set a scene, paint yeah, a picture. Come on. There was a lot of talk. So we were the S- Sid isn't listening. Your wife. Your wife. <laughs> we know does not she tune hates the show. We know she hates the podcast. So go ahead. <laughs> what do you want to know about her? I mean, this is everything. You know, I'm I want to know I'm, what you felt the first time you saw her. You're I always, standing there, and everyone. I've you, seen her your since. Little I've name s- tag, yeah, and, yeah. and and you have your gin and tonic. All no, of a sudden, I've been, I've from been, across the lawn, it's always a ray pleasure. of light. It's always a pleasure to see her. This yes. radiant yes. beauty. She's still quite beautiful. She's still, but, you know, she's happily married. I'm happily married. Was there some part of me that was, you know, hoping that she would, you know, collapse in uh, tears saying, it's all it's all gone bad, uh, you know, thus elevating me to, like, the path not taken? I should have picked you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, sure, I'm human. But the truth, no, the truth is that I really, um, it's a, it's good that we're both in very, very good places. Thank you.
Oh, I know you, you sick fox. I'll tell you something. Excuse that, me. That you guys will find I'm, interesting. I'm not, not involved in You're this. His You're his co-conspirator staff. Don't I'm drag literally her just this. sitting here being innocent. Stop but that having nice. been said, go ahead. I did have go a very on. long conversation with the woman who five years ago at our last reunion, uh, just in a intoxicated stupor, I'd say we, we both were in intoxicated stupor, started telling me about her open marriage. And that was very interesting because I never talked to anyone who was actually in a oh, let's give consensually her a open marriage. Um, we're going to call her Lisa after your wife, Leo. Oh, and, okay. And it tells us a lot about your thing real, <laughs> real this morning. This is what Mark is thinking about. And, uh, well, and so for five years now, I've been thinking it'll be interesting to hear how the open marriage has, you know, proceeded and developed. And, you know, damned if they aren't thriving. In fact, what's happened is they've opened stuff up even more. And now it sounds like there's spreadsheets going and there's like multiple, you know, there's just a lot more activity and there's a lot of planning and there's travel agents See, involved. that just and sounds like too much work. That's, it's, so much that's exactly right. I don't care right. how much it, sex you get to have. That is just labor intensive. It sounded like they needed to hire task rabbits like, to keep oh, track of everything. Oh, I'm Thursday. It's Thursday. I'm supposed to have sex with yeah. Jessica. Fuck, I double booked. Like, who wants that kind of life? And also, like, life? we need groceries and, like, who's <laughs> going to get also, those? also, the kids need to be picked <laughs> the up. The kids. Three sexual assignations and two pickups from dance class. That too much. It sounded a little bit like that. Like it it really. (laughs) I guess that is like exciting. If if that you know you're organizing your life around. Listen to me. Nothing that involves work is exciting. Nothing. I don't care what it is. What kind of freaky sex it is. Personality. I feel like thrives. Right. I will say this that is a way to organize. <laughs> I think that's that's the untold secret of open marriages. It's all about like the logistics. These people like don't the actually Google enjoy Doc. the sex. They just enjoy That's the... actually why Google Docs exist. That's exactly right. I have to say, I went to my five-year reunion a few years back, and it was not like this at all. It was not like this. Well, here's the thing about a 20th is, like, people get really real. Like, they're not going to show up and bullshit you. Like, people talk – I talked to one woman who was on her third divorce. She told me all about it. One guy gave a talk about what it's like to live with HIV, which was, you know – I actually didn't make it to the talk, but people were really very moved by it. And none of us had known or many of us hadn't known he was HIV positive. And there was just a lot of realness. You know, it was yeah. Five year, everyone's like, "Oh, I'm great." Everyone's so fronting. I'm eye banking more than you're eye banking. Yeah, no, this was like I flamed out of eye banking, and I'm now drawing. <laughs> but so, I, do you have like a weekend hangover right now? Uh, do you hear my voice? Yeah, I mean, this is like struggle have, fest. I'm still the Mark Oppenheimer. Story. This may let's put it this way: we will conclude on this note. This may have been the only four day period in the past five years where I drank more than Liel. I don't think that's right. You think you outdrank me the past four days? Oh yeah. Finally, Liel, you win. You're drunker than I am. That's. A little Forever news, true. A little news of the Jews. En route to co-winning this year's Scripps National Spelling Bee, finalist Jaram Hathwar, who is from Corning, New York, 13 years old, was asked to spell the word chremslach. I've actually never heard this word. I've never heard it either. Chremslach, C-H-R-E-M-S-L-A-C-H. Can you use it as a sentence? Um, it's a kind of matzah meal cake of which I had never heard. So here we go. Uh, my wife, Sid, has made many things for Pesach, but never chremslach. <laughs> There we go. Does not sound good, um, but it does rhyme with Pesach. <laughs> so, for for all you uh, you know budding rappers out there, so we can add my this poser. Pesach with my Chremslach. We can add this to the. Uh, there's been a lot of Yiddishkeit in recent years at the Scripps uh, National Spelling Bee, uh, Knadel, Hesped, Heksher, um, and we can add to that Chremslach. He spelled it correctly, and he went on to share the prize after I think 38 rounds. They declared yeah. it a tie because they were like, "You guys have to go to sleep. It's yeah. bedtime. <laughs> it's like three in the morning." New York's Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services is facing a lawsuit from a woman who says that she was fired for, quote, not being Jewish enough. What do you think the – what does that mean? Do you guys – did you read the story? 
Yes. Yeah. So you know that. I think it just means not being Jewish. Right. <laughs> it's not, by not Jewish enough, like, it means. You're not allowed to do that. No. Her name is Helene Dominguez and. That's not Jewish enough for not me. Not Jewish enough. Nope. She could be, she could be Sephardi. She says her Orthodox boss has been promoting fellow Orthodox Jews and she is not even a non-Orthodox Jew. So we hope that justice prevails, whatever it is. At a public hearing this Thursday, the town of West Hampton Beach, New York, is likely to approve the completion of a just-started Eruv, the string, often strung up on telephone poles, that will create the symbolic boundary in which Jews can carry or push on the Sabbath. Now, as we know, an Eruv is important because Jews are only allowed to carry or push on the Sabbath inside a home. So if you have a stroller and you want to take it outside to stroll one of your nine children, then you need an Eruv so that you can get yourself to synagogue. If you don't have an Eruv, it makes it very hard to live in the community because you can't really take your kids anywhere on the Sabbath. Whenever they try to put up Eruvs in swanky places that I haven't been to, like West Hampton Beach, there's always opposition. And as ever, some of the main opposition comes from Jews. By some of you really do mean all. 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 And then like the curious like non-Jew who's like, I don't want that. Do you, you think all the opposition is from oh, I, I'm pretty certain self-loathing reform Jews? In this Jews? case, I'm pretty certain yeah. So this was not self-loathing. Well, let's read this quote. They, from, the ones in this one are. Yeah, let's read this quote from someone whom I really dislike. And you know, I'm, I'm the voice of reason here. I'm not Mr. Ad hominem, but according to the New York Times, Arnold Schieffer, one of the leaders of a group known as Jewish People for the Betterment of West Hampton Beach, and also a leader, it seems, of Jewish people opposed to the Eruv, that's J. Poe, argues that the Eruv will simply, quote, create another ghetto in the Hamptons. As a Reformed Jew, I find it extremely offensive to create a distinction that this is a Jewish area, Mr. Schieffer said in a phone interview from Vero Beach, Florida, where he also has a home. The courts have been wrong before. Black people couldn't sit at lunch counters, and women couldn't vote, and abortions were illegal. Case law isn't always right. I'm sorry, Mr. Schieffer, you are definitely our winner for Worst Jew of the Week. Um, he seems to not even understand what it's... He this thinks statement is dripping with assholery. It, it's amazing. It you are an objectively bad person and also not terrifically bright. You understand, Mr. Schieffer, that an Eruv doesn't mean that only Jews can live there. It just makes it possible for Orthodox Jews to live there. Like, Gentiles can live there to their heart's content. It doesn't ghettoize. I, but so, if I may... He, he knows that, right? And Mr. Schieffer, no, this yeah. is Mark Oppenheimer Look, calling you a terrible idiot. It's not even me. <laughs> if I may voice the dissent, I don't agree with it necessarily, but I think what's happening here is this is a really swanky neighborhood with a lot of wealthy people. If you put up an era of the logic goes, you're going to get a lot of like bigger families, maybe not as ritzy. God, and they're going to, you're going to, I know you're going to attract a lot of How certain types of people. Next so certain, you by know. certain types of people, yeah. we mean orth- I'm, no, Orthodox I'm, I'm, people. Next thing yeah. you know, there'll be so, like Zmiras and Shabbos so and, and there'll be like filter fish. Their reasoning the is like they, windows. they think that it'll change the character of the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. It will. It'll Those. be more diverse and maybe there'll be fewer assholes because Mr. Schieffer will leave. I didn't say I agreed. I'm just, I'm just voicing it. Chabad, if you're listening, here's your to-do <laughs> for the rest of 2016. Buy every single fucking property around Schieffer's house every single one please uh drake is going forward with plans to build a twenty-one thousand square foot mansion in toronto for 6.7 million with a built-in air of little known fact <laughs> all throughout the property that's a lot of mezuzahs he'll have to acquire uh perhaps two kitchens apparently he also has a crush on sarah silverman it's been a big week in drake news stephanie as our senior drake correspondent could you what's the significance of the sarah silverman crush. Well, look, everyone has a crush on Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman is the worst Jew ever. I'm sorry. Enough with the Sarah Silverman nonsense ever. First, could we establish what happened? He saw, he was at Saturday Night Live. He saw a picture of her. So, Drake was at Saturday Night Live, um, snapped a pic of a pic of Sarah Silverman and tweeted hashtag WCE, which stands for, as the young say, 
woman crush every day. Um, Did you know that? Did you know it stood for that? No, but I could have like pieced it together. Uh Like man crush Mondays, woman crush Wednesdays. That's, those are things. <laughs> oh, I didn't. But you knew those were those, things. Those are throwback Thursdays. So I'm crush so every happy. Day. I'm, I'm basically on the verge of death. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, mean, I will yeah. be gone before it gets to its absolute. So, so worst. she says. So Sarah Silverman said. Um, I mean, listen, he's half Jewish. I'm sure he has a Jewish mother fantasy situation. So you don't like that. So she's actually selling out herself. Basically saying like he'd only dig me because I'm a middle aged. Well, she Jewish says woman. That's a bunch what she of always does, and it's the most self involved shtick in the world. I think she does a really good job of pointing out like the ageism and se- like towards women in comedy. Yeah, and that's, that's about it. No, and it's I, been I think that she's funny for and cool. Years. You're out on your own here, Leibowitz. In yes, other news, in other news like of the old Jews, uh, member of Knesset Avigdor Lieberman is the new defense minister of Israel for a superb analysis of that sitch. You can read Amir Tibone's piece at tabletmag.com. Indeed. Or you can listen to Leah. Le- Do you have a one sentence take on your friend Avigdor being the new defense secretary? He was sworn in promising that he would assassinate the head of Hamas, Ismail Haniyeh, within 48 hours. If you're listening to the show, today's we're recording on Tuesday. He was sworn in yesterday. If you're listening to the show on Thursday, he's dead. Tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. Is he the guy who once did a radio interview and then like flushed the toilet in the middle of the interview? Uh, that would not surprise me. <laughs> According to Newsweek, now we're, having left a Victor Lieberman and the situation of Middle East defense behind, we'll get to the really serious stuff. According to Newsweek, a prominent Saudi cleric went on television and when asked about the fact that Saudis were posting pictures of their cats on the internet, declared them forbidden, saying that there's an upsurge in Saudis, quote, who want to be like Westerners. This is Sheikh Saleh bin Fazan al-Fazwan, one of my favorite of the senior members of the- I'm sorry, Sa- his name is al-Fazwan? Fazwan. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. He's a member of the Saudi Council of Senior Scholars. He heard about this trend of people taking pictures of their cats, and he said, quote, what? What do you mean pictures with cats? Taking pictures is prohibited. The cats don't matter here. Taking pictures is prohibited, if not for a necessity, <laughs> which leaves you to wonder, what is the necessity that would require you to take a picture of a cat? Like, what do you have to do so that Sheikh Saleh says, okay, that is a permissible picture of a cat. You're like, I really needed the Instagram likes. It was like a tough day for me. <laughs> I like needed the validation. No, here's the thing. If you're a cat, okay, Sheikh Salim, if you have a cat walker, say like Stephanie's cat walker, right? Um, yeah. And it's actually a cat, cat sitter. Walk, she doesn't walk the cat. cat sitter is there to take care of the cat and she needs to send you evidence of the cat's well-being. Is that a permissible <laughs> yes. situation? I think so. She actually also sends me like a full detailed report of what happened um, and I then a video. I think the good sheikh would be totally fine with He'd that. He'd be fine with that. But he, he went on to say, uh, taking pictures is prohibited if not for a necessity. Not with cats, not with dogs, not with wolves, not with anything. The wolf selfie has like been a big situation over there. <laughs> the I leading think. cause of death in Dubai. At least use a selfie stick so you can run. So here's <laughs> you can fend off that wolf with it. A small piece of the story yeah, could beat up the wolf. A small piece of the story, but one which I found fascinating, is that uh, we know about this because the TV was monitored, watched, and translated by the Middle East Media Research Institute, or MEMRI. God bless them. Which is a Washington nonprofit. Uh, it's, I think, fair to say, a rightward-leaning outfit whose mission basically is to find crazy stuff from the Muslim world and translate it. And by the way, it's the easiest job in the world. <laughs> so, all you have to do is record television in the Muslim world, and you get shit like this every day. Its board of advisors is filled with neocons like Norman Podhoritz and Donald Rumsfeld and John Bolton. They do some good and necessary work. <laughs> but 
is their nonprofit mission really to find crazy cat shit? Like, wh- I understand translating look at a litter box. translating anti-Semitic fatwas Mark, from, from Iranian When they came mullahs. for the cat selfies, I said nothing because I didn't have a cat. Next thing you know, it's the Jews. And, I mean, and then the wolves. And I then mean, the wolves. You do have to wonder about the intern who's told, okay, you have good Arabic. Watch this Saudi channel just for the next 36 hours and not finding anything anti-Semitic or belligerent. <laughs> they found the cat I don't story. think you could watch, you know, Arabic language TV from around the world for 24 hours and not find anything anti-Semitic. And yet it's the cat story that they put up on their website. How does this serve the because mission of memory? Because you're dealing with a culture in which that kind of thinking is prevalent among people in very high positions of power. That is an important distinction. These are people who you lend material support to. These are people who are players in a, a you know global setting. I you just, don't care about things like that. How are we going to see the Saudi you're thinking cats? about your reunion, but still. It's just like, how are we going to see them? There might be some really well, cute Well, that's ones. why we need cat burkas for the cats. <laughs> wow. Kirkas? Okay. Perkas. Well, Perkas. Or furkas. No, furkas is better. Just furkas is pretty good. Just to show that nothing that stupid happens in America, there's a rumor going around the far right reaches of the internet that Taylor Swift is actually a Nazi who buries coded racist messages in her lyrics. This week, the online magazine Vice interviewed Andrew Anglin, who writes the white supremacist blog The Daily Stormer, asking him to explain this theory, which he has done much to propagate. He said, firstly, (laughs) he began by using a non-existent word. Firstly, Taylor Swift is a pure Aryan goddess. You're you're a little bit of a grammar Nazi. when it, ooh, I will take down the real Nazis with my grammar or Nazism. Firstly, Taylor Swift is a pure Aryan goddess, like something out of classical Greek poetry, Athena reborn. So far, no disagreement there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is classical Greek poetry filled with Aryan goddesses? That doesn't even make sense to me. Well, but know. No, I feel like classical Greek poetry has that, like, that, that nose, you know? Yeah, they don't look that Aryan yeah. in classical Greek poetry. It is also an established fact, Anglin went on to say, that Taylor Swift is secretly a Nazi and is simply waiting for the time when Donald Trump makes it safer to come out and announce her Aryan agenda to the world. Anglin of the Daily Stormer also told Vice, while Miley Cyrus is out having gangbangs with colored gentlemen— Taylor Swift is at home with her cat reading Jane Austen. Okay, I have a few things to say here. <laughs> Thus this, making it the most buttnick ready yes, story. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Okay. First of all, it's not actually a theory. It's like something that these people are saying and now is like being like Vice is like reporting on it. Like there's this theory going around. It's like literally just like people think it. Like it's not actually something that's true. They just want it to be true. So this all started because like some teenager in an attempt to like parody these, like when people would like do Marilyn Monroe quotes that like weren't like pic- a picture of Marilyn Monroe and a quote that like she never said, started putting up pictures of Taylor Swift with Adolf Hitler quotes to like be like, you guys are so dumb. You would literally believe anything we put next to a celebrity's face. This has been seized upon by like the alt-right who are like, yeah, let's do more of these. And now they do it. So there'll be like a picture of, but so it's it all started as a parody and basically like, because irony, I feel like, is lost. Thus proving people. that they're as stupid as this teenager suspected they were. Yeah. I, and I think. Share with us some. I see you like, have some a picture here of, before you on your. <laughs> there's a picture of her, like, back in her country days. And it says in, like, a really pretty script the writer is the engineer of the human soul. And there's another one where she's, like, sort of, like, has a sultry look. And it says, it isn't history that makes heroes, it is heroes that make history. It is the heroes Swift. that makes the history. Yeah. <laughs> But now there's this group on Facebook called Unza haters gonna hate, hate, hate. <laughs> um, <laughs> Irrational. Literally haters gonna hate. 
Literally. She knew what she was talking about. Son Can you love. imagine, though, how fun the Taylor Swift Reich would be? I mean, I'm in already. You know, That's right. a squad as, I'm joining. As, as the new trains to the new Auschwitz make their way, you know, the soundtrack would be, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? No? Yeah, too soon? Oh, definitely too soon. Jews only like love if it's torture. No? Keeping. Don't say I didn't warn you. Don't say I didn't warn you. Keeping. Great. Keeping. Mark, are any of these cultural references hitting you? Do you know any of I these I knew songs? hate, 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 hate. That's all you know. You know that one song. How many Taylor Swift songs do you know, Leo? I would say pretty much all. Leo's but love the for one, Taylor Swift is almost I as like where, almost where mine is. So mystifying because, Absolutely because you rail more than anyone I know outside of college classics departments about the decline of Western civilization. Right. And good yet you pop know, is good pop music. And yet you She's know phenomenal Taylor Swift is artist. not the decline. No, I agree. No, no I Swift agree. Terrific. She's amazing. Wait, don't who, box who me in. Her? Do not box I'm me boxing in. Boxing you in. You're boxed in. I love good pop music. What was the last pop act you were truly into? Pops. Shake it off, Mark. Shake it off. I'm trying to think here. Yeah. Like really into. Like really into? Yeah. Well, it sort of all stopped for me around 1995. So if you want to look at who's big and, you know, circa. Like Insync. Yeah. Well, I like, yeah, I like Insync. Sure. 98 Degrees. Absolutely. All of that. 98 Degrees. I liked, I liked that era of boy bands. I like boy bands Wave 2. I even like, you Britney. know, I, I liked NKOTB the first time around. I, I never you liked Extina. You are a missed boy band opportunity. Great hair. You yeah, have the, the hair. You have like Harry. You're like Harry Styles. For, exactly for the smart, like the smart girls crush. I have to say, Taylor Swift's now like putting out statements, being like, "I'm not a Nazi." The, yeah, like this is hateful and and like ethnically insensitive. <laughs> it is definitely it's like what do you that. do? What do you do when this happens to you? Like, and yet, if she declares her intention to run for Obersturmenführer <laughs> of the United States of America at this point in history, she wins sixty eight percent. If she ran for vote. president, I think she'd win. Oh my god, in a heartbeat. Our guest Jew this week is Jeff Ader. Earlier this year, Jeff, who lives in Chicago, launched the Jewish Baseball Museum, a virtual museum dedicated to, quote, telling the compelling stories of the Jewish players, executives, and others who have had a profound impact on the game. Ader claims to have one of the biggest collections of Jewish baseball memorabilia, about 2,000 items, including a Ron Blumberg bat with a Star of David on the knob, and a letter written by Hank Greenberg to a friend during World War II and approximately 2,500 pre-1990 baseball cards of Jewish players. Our own Jonathan Zalman wrote about the museum on Tablet's website. Today, we welcome Jeff to the Jew phone. Hey, Jeff. Hi, how are you? Good, Jeff. Uh, welcome to Unorthodox. Thanks for joining us on our little podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm guessing this is a passion project, right? You, you must have a day job. Yes, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, there's no revenue model here. Do you play for the Cubs? What do you do for a living? I have a, a real estate company, but if the Cubs ever do need some help, I'm, I'm always interested in, uh, in, in exploring it. So how did you get the idea for this museum? Like, why does the world need a Jewish baseball museum? Well, I'm not sure if the world needs it. I think that uh, <laughs> I think the world will be fine without it. But I think that my interest in it was that I am, have a huge passion for baseball. I have a huge passion for my Jewish heritage. And the, the people who played in 
uh, the major leagues were interesting people. The stories were great. The it was much more than just Sandy Koufax and Hank Greenberg. And I thought it was a great uh, story of pride that I wanted to share with people. So because most of our listeners, uh, or some of our listeners, a large part of our listeners, probably only know or mainly know the Koufax-Greenberg you know, story, tell us, tell us one anecdote about one totally forgotten but really great Jewish baseball person who deserves to be feted by us today. Well... Uh, I tell you, the, the person I thought was uh, a really fun guy is a guy named Jimmy Reese. His name was, he was born Hyman Solomon. And in 1916, <laughs> of course he was. Right, exactly. Hyman Solomon was getting him nowhere. So Jimmy Reese was much, uh, was much better. And in 1916, he uh, was a bat boy for a baseball team that was managed by Frank Chance of Tinkers to Everest to Chance, a very famous double play combination for the Chicago Cubs. And he continued in baseball and wound up being Babe Ruth's roommate in 1931 for away games. And uh, he always would say that he was the roommate of Babe Ruth's luggage because Babe never made it in uh, for those evenings. He became a confidant of Babe Ruth. If you guys knew the people whose luggage I had roomed with, you would be, Leo wouldn't make fun of me so much. I've, I've roomed with some serious luggage. So this is a virtual museum. It's online right now. Are we ever going to get a building? Like, where would it be? Right, right. Well, we are hoping to have a Jewish baseball museum, a physical structure based upon the interest level in the virtual one. So right now, the virtual one, we're going to spend the next six months building it up. Right now, so. It's got about 60,000 words of, of content, and we're going to double that over the next six months. And then by the time we are finished with that, we are going to decide whether there's enough interest to justify the bricks and mortar museum. Jeff, we're out of time, but we are very excited uh, for the museum. Can you give us the URL for people who want to check it out? Yeah, please. It's uh, www.jewishbaseballmuseum.com. Oh, we got a .com even. And it's we command all of our listeners to go right now and, and check and it out. Please have us at the ribbon cutting ceremony. Yes, and when, when you start the Kickstarter campaign for the real space, uh, we will be the first donors. So, Jeff Ader, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Take Bye care. now. Bye-bye. A word from our sponsor. I shaved brutally this morning. I hadn't shaved for a couple of days because of the nonstop partying of my 20th reunion. Did you go to the reunion all scruffy and well, dark, I dark start, and handsome? I started, off, I started off smooth, but things got scruffy as the days went it on. And when I finally went back to shaving, I really did need a good shave. I needed some really, really sharp blades this morning. You know, like after a couple of days, you know, like a chick would have destroyed my face this morning. It would have been very, very brutal. But I got what I needed. I got it from Harry's. I've been using Harry's, and so should you. This is the razor uh, with the cartridges that is mailed to you. No long lines at Dwayne Reed or Walgreens or CVS. It's all on the web at harrys.com. 
These blades are German engineered, five blades to a cartridge with a flex hinge and a lubricating strip. This is, of course, a really good time of year. This could be the best time of year to order for somebody else because Father's Day is coming up. And the limited edition Father's Day shave set includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, which is actually amazing. It gives you a little thing that you can just put the little uh, razor in. So I feel like a man. Straight up. Yeah, it's just, it's really, it holds it well so that it's not falling off the side of your sink or, or your tub or whatever. Uh, it's a very beautiful piece. Uh, Harry's moisturizing foaming shave gel, three of Harry's handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40. Plus, it comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card. They actually uh, sent me this set. I have it now. Um, it's really, really amazing. And I probably am not going to give it to my dad because I'm going to keep it. I love my dad, and I'm going to talk about my dad later. But I'm actually not going to make this a Father's Day gift. But you should. Um, Harry's also offers shaving sets at different price points starting at $15. Listen. Get one for yourself. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code UNORTHODOX. So what you should do, whether you're buying for dad, for the Father's Day shave set, is go to harrys.com right now. H-A-R-R-Y-S. Leave out the apostrophe. Redeem the special offer for fans of our show. $5 off your first purchase with promo code UNORTHODOX. But don't wait because the free shipping for Father's Day ends on Friday, June 3rd. So this is the time. You've been hearing us do these pitches. Uh, if you don't want to try it for yourself, try it for dad. Get it for Father's Day. Enter the code UNORTHODOX at checkout to get $5 off and get your dad something he will actually use. Oh, Carrie? Hey. Hey, Carrie. How are you? Our guest Gentile is Carrie Poppy. She is a co-host of the podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie. She met her co-host, Ross, at a book club meeting, and they figured out that they had a lot of interest in common. The Simpsons, religion, fringe science, and Kabbalah. Tell me if this story is right, Carrie. Is it true you guys went to the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles and you were kind of poking around and said, hey, we should do a podcast about how crazy this is? <laughs> yeah, that's more or less right. We were in a book club together, as you mentioned. We came back and we told everybody about the experience and everyone else was like, oh, this is amazing. This sounds so great. And we said, yeah, you should come next time. And they were like, oh, we don't want to go. <laughs> and then we realized, oh. That's your job. And that was like, right. That was like the best night ever for us. So then we thought, oh, maybe we have something here. We can exploit our own eccentricities and wanting to go to these things and then share them with other people. So, I mean, the podcast, you go to a lot of these fringy groups. You've done Scientology. You've done alternative medicine. You've done, um, you know, the pseudo-Kabbalah that they do at the Kabbalah Center. What would you say mm -hmm. the, the kind of sweet spot of your podcast is? What are you after? Oh, uh, what are we after? Um, I mean, for me, I just really, I love the religious experience. I was religious growing up, and I think on some level, I'm still just chasing that religious high, hoping that one of these things will stick. I'll be like, there it is. That's that's the thing that's true that's been hiding. But uh, the more rational side of me says, okay, well, if that doesn't happen, that's okay, too. That this is just sort of the, the grand human experience that I get to just skips through all of it. Forget the rational side of you. This is not that kind of podcast. Uh, if you were <laughs> if you were coming up with a with a like a bracket, you know, like in sports, of the craziest of the crazy fringe religious experience you've experienced, who who wins? Is Kabbalah more whacked out than Scientology? Who's who's at the very top of this pyramid? Um, are we talking more about their beliefs or how? the actual experiences for their members. I think actual experience. Where did you go in and feel like, oh my God, this is bananas? 
Tony Alamo Christian Ministries, a group you've <laughs> never heard of. <laughs> oh, I love those guys. You know them, Liv? Oh, of course. They, okay. they, they put flyers all up and down my block. I've never. Yeah. Tony They're like Alamo. the Upper West Side. Yeah. This is our. Is that it's spelled like Alamo? Yeah. I've never yeah. heard of these people. Okay, well, uh, educate me. Okay, so Tony Alamo is this dude who uh, got his wealth by creating denim jackets that he would stonewash and then put crazy emblems on, and a bunch of uh, Hollywood elites loved these denim jackets. He got rich off them, and then he proceeded to found a religion. Naturally. Like you do. <laughs> um, and so his, his religion is mostly him arguing for marrying young women, and he <laughs> claims that he took brides as young as eight and nine, uh, and uh, that therefore, because they were his brides, it was legal when he um, raped them. So he's now in prison and still leading his group from prison. So his followers will legally go in and visit him, uh, record him giving sermons, and bring them back to their uh, compounds in in our area, like an hour and a half north of me. And so... Ross and I started following this trail because we got those flyers on our windshields just like you did. And we were like, you know, at first we just thought, oh, these are goofy people with funny flyers. And then, of course, this rabbit hole went so deep. And we ended up on a van, an unmarked van, going an hour and a half north into the desert where we had no spell reception and both just, you know, looking at each other and being like, okay, well, if we die tonight, we die together. That's nice. Um, <laughs> so you the things you do for podcasting. Is there a, like a personality type you see among followers of like these various groups? Like, is there are there similar traits you're seeing? Yeah, you know, I feel like this sociology bears out pretty well as far as our experience. I see mostly women, no matter where we go. Um, women just in general have a higher belief ratio than men. Um, so we see a lot of women. We see a lot of people who are in disempowered situations. And the more outlandish the group, the more disempowered the followers, it seems to me. So, for example, at Tony Alamo, a lot of people with diagnosed mental illnesses that they were happy to tell us about because that was part of their overcoming life story. But, it, you know, it's very clear that they just still needed medical help. Um, people who had been sort of thrown out by uh, by society or didn't have jobs or had horrible stories of abuse that, again, they were happy to share with you. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit of out of the frying pan and into the fire, but they find these groups as a place to at least give them some structure and some resources. You know, you go to Tony Alamo, at least you get a free meal every night. Right. And if that's where you are in life, that's an improvement. Do you feel like you could like create a religion or a group and like you now know everything you need to have? Yeah, have you cracked the DNA? Oh my God, I love that you asked that because I was just at a party like trying to tell people, like I swear I could make a cult. I swear I could do it. Um, which out of context uh, among a bunch of strangers turns out that would be great party talk. So they didn't uh, join. They <laughs> didn't. But um no, I really think we could. Ross and I like reflect on this all the time, how obviously we wouldn't do it, but um, that it just seems like you can just hang up a shingle and say anything with a bunch of confidence, and someone will show up and be like, yeah, that made sense to me. But do you have any of the constituent parts assembled? I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts of what your cult would involve? 
Uh, what would I want? Maybe uh, a lot of dogs. Oh, maybe I'd like claim that dogs were a lot the... of dogs. I will join your cult. I think Mark should yeah. lead your cult. I will, I will join. I no, love that. You don't see him, but he really has cult leader hair. You There's guys no would other like walk it. in the in the wilderness, like, and there would just be packs of dogs I behind would, you guys. I would absolutely move to that it. place. Hey, Carrie. So now that you've cracked the DNA of cults for us, which is find disempowered, poor, oppressed people and give them child rape um you you as a as a gentile you grew up evangelical christian right um that's right and so you had some questions for us for this internationally recognized panel of jews what what can we answer (laughs) for you yeah um, and you had a bunch of you had a bunch of questions so we're gonna do like a a lightning round where you're we're gonna give you quick answers to your questions okay so the first one's that pretty much every jew i know is an atheist they're openly atheist or at least agnostic and they still honor Jewish customs. That's the holidays they prefer, et cetera. But other than that, there's just nearly no nod to God. Um, and I was wondering how common that is. And does Judaism sort of seem more accepting of disbelief in Christianity? Liel, you want to take that one? Well, first of all, I think it's a tribute to the wild success of American Jewish education. Uh, and how good it is to <laughs> basically tell you what your religion's about. But I also think there's a, there's an inherent aspect of dissent. There's no doubt about that. And also, I think there's the confidence that we're Jews even if we don't believe because, you know, we gave it the office because our moms are Jewish. That's exactly. Yeah, like your kid could not believe in God. And you're like, but he's, he's still Jewish. He's fine. Right. Like, I feel like there's a real tolerance If for your that. mother's vagina was Jewish, you will forever remain a Jew no matter what it is that you say. It baptizes you on the way out. It does. Is what happens. Okay, what, what what's next? Sorry, just to follow up on that one, would uh, if you guys all came to your families and said you didn't believe in God, do you think there would just be no downfall to that? It would be like, yes, but you're still coming home for Rosh Hashanah. My parents don't believe in God, so they're, they're my parents are worried that I do. Okay. <laughs> We're a bunch of Fair cynics. Enough. I I literally had this conversation with, with my in-laws trying to figure out what Jewish education meant to them. Like, you know, as long as the kids, be, it was about raising a child Jewish, what it meant to raise a child Jewish. As long as that child celebrates holidays, goes to shul three times a year and speaks three words of Hebrew. That And I said, you know, this believing in God matters. Oh, no, no. That's just, you know, that's weird. That's like something we don't want to talk about. Yeah. It's We weird. actually prefer that it didn't happen, which Leave saddens all the God me, stuff. But, you know, yeah, it is kind so of depressing. Okay, got it. I guess I know the typical Jew then. You do. You're, you're running with, with pretty average Jews. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, okay. Second question. How common is the feminist orange on the Seder plate? Is that a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is yeah. pretty common now. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I've never been to a Seder that's done it, but I hear rumors that everyone else's Seder has it. So I, I'm, okay. on, I'm in the same, same camp on that. Liel, God-believing Jew, do you have a, an orange on your Seder plate? I do not. You do not? No. Okay. Because I'm, you know, a traditionalist. Because you're Jew. a traditionalist. Okay, what's next? These are great questions. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, okay, so what are some common last names of Jewish descent that I might not know are Jewish? Okay, I've got three for you. All right. Okay. Miller, often Jewish. Green, very often Jewish. Stone. Oh. Stone, almost always Jewish, though not in the case of Sharon Stone. Or Emma Stone. Or Emma Stone, uh, but very uh, often. Or all attractive stones. <laughs> no, I know, some, I know some attractive stones. You know hot stones? You know yeah, hot, hot stones, ju- hot yeah. Hot Jewish stones. Does either of you guys have one for No, her? those are good. No, those are you've, good. you've cornered the Miller, market. Green, and Stone. I mean, there aren't that many Garfields, but if you meet one... That's a law firm, right If there. you meet one, it used to be Garfinkel, and it's Jewish. Okay, what's next? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, poppy, also poppy, is often Jewish. Yes, because oh, shit. it was it was it's short for for Poppenheimer. Poppenheimer, that's right. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, how does Orthodox Judaism react to the rise of the American Kabbalah movement? We've totally we've forgotten about it. We, ever since Madonna moved on, we've forgotten about I, it. I, I think, think like the rest of us react to the. No, I think that it doesn't even register to yeah. Orthodox Judaism. Sorry, the Judaism to, to the Orthodox the Jewish structure. Like I think it's it's so far from what their people are doing, basically. Uh-huh. I mean, Hasidic Jews, in theory, uh, treat Kabbalah as part of their mystical tradition, but very few of them really do it, right? Yeah, I think they're like, oh, yeah, they took that thing from us, and now they're, like, really running with it. Yeah. And also, the the American Kabbalah movement with the red strings and the holy water and stuff is not real Kabbalah. So it's, it's just cultural appropriation, but it's Madonna and whatnot, and they don't know about Madonna anyway, so right. it kind of doesn't well, register. Um, there was actually an expose not that long ago about how those red strings were never, like, even brought anywhere near Rachel's tomb, which is what they're supposed to be. Shocking. Have been wrapped around. Shocking. It was just, it was just hucksterism. Yeah. But Shocking. They, but they look so good. All right, last, uh, last question. Okay, so uh, I'm an atheist with a Christian background. Uh, as far as I know, I have no Jewish ancestry. We think you do, but, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm a poppy. Um, but... I love religions. I love religious holidays. I love going to religious services. And there are a few, I, I live in Hollywood, so there are a few um, Jewish cultural centers and things nearby. And I keep wondering, would it be disrespectful for me to show up at like their Passover service or something? Because it does seem like they're not doing a ton of outreach, and I don't want to go in and be a looky-loo, but at the same time, I want to appreciate it and learn about it. Are you kidding me? You would be the most cherished guest at every fucking Jewish event anywhere you would go to. I think, I mean, for a religion that's non-proselytizing, we're very hospitable and welcoming. And, like, those celebrations are very much, I think, open. And the idea of, aren't you supposed to invite people to your Seder? Like, isn't that sort of part of the yeah. thing? Plus, we're so provincial. The first, like, oh, 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 the goyim find this interesting? Oh, well, that's so flattering. You'll end up with 12 Shabbat dinner invitations. That's go. Right. Go and then yeah. report back oh, okay. to us on it. You could go, be our, our special me. correspondent, yeah. Okay, now that we've hired you and uh, announced to you your Jewish heritage, Carrie, if people want to listen to your podcast, where do they go? Uh, well, they can go to MaximumFun.org to find us directly, or there's always iTunes. That's most people's preferred method, but it's called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Carrie Poppy, thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, take it easy. Bye-bye. <laughs> Do we have any Mazel Tov this week, Stephanie? I have a Mazel Tov to, I think, the remaining family members I haven't mentioned on the podcast, and they are, they are devoted listeners since day one. They're subscribers to the print magazine. Um, my aunt and uncle, Pam and Leslie Harris, they are the best, and I've, I've heard rumblings that they, you know, that they want their mention. The Everyone Mazel, Tov, the Mazel Tov is just pure... It's, I know, they're great. Tribute. It's a tribute. It's yeah. a tribute it's to a their greatness. It's a thank you for the, they listen, they give feedback. Yep. Right. They make great food. My Mazel Tov is to one of the most underappreciated people in, in popular culture. Seth Rogen, God bless you for coming up with, I'm, I'm going to say it, probably the best show on television right now, Preacher. If you're not watching it, I'm watch, it. watch it right now. It's genius. And it's, it's, it's theologically serious. And it has a lot of spontaneous combustions and blood and humor and vampires. But have you seen Good him in, stuff. in Neighbors 2 yet? I have not seen him. You got to see Neighbors 2, man. 
It's one of the great movies. My Mazel Tov this week is to my dad, Tim Oppenheimer, who is retiring from his job at AFSCME Council 4 in New Britain, Connecticut, where he's been winning fairer and juster contracts for the state, county, and municipal employees of my fair state for the past decade or so. He is on to another phase of life. In the fall, he will start studying for a master's in social work at the Yukon School of Social Work. Oh my God, he's an Oppenheimer. That is awesome. And so he is um, at 71, about to embark on his on his fourth career. And uh, Is he going to be in a fraternity? I, well, I don't know if he's going to join a frat, but I'm definitely buying him a Jansport backpack and a Trapper Keeper. So that he's, you know, well, well outfitted. But to, the kids are definitely using those now. Yeah. To do the work. Exactly. <laughs> what, so he'll so, be great. I'm sorry, Stephanie. What brand should I, what should I be buying? Actually, backpacks are back. Yeah. I think. Um, maybe put some like enamel pins on it for okay. him. Patches are back too. Like denim jackets with patches. What so patches? we should tell Tony so what whatever patches? his name is. I don't know. Like whatever he says, his, you know, his personality. And here's the important thing, Mark. Tell him when he finds his Estelle in college. Yeah. He should fuck her now. He should not wait Shouldn't 20 wait. years. Shouldn't yeah. Wait. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It is expertly edited by Julie Subrin and superbly produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week is by everyone who made my 20th reunion great, especially Doug McKay, Emmanuel Williams, Elliot Kenderson, Jerry Valdosti, Nina Pardo, Ann Wojcicki, Noel Fry, and Ariana Killerin, but also all the rest of you I didn't name. Kosher Slaughtering is by our new friend and letter writer, Marilyn Klein. Our website is tabletmag.com. Follow Tablet on Facebook. Have a very merry Shavuos. Keep reading those commandments. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.